how does the server, Ransomware as a Service offering, operate? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. And to learn more about server, I'm speaking with Gadi Neva, an advanced threat prevention evangelist with Checkpoint. Gadi, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much, Matthew, for having me. So you've been doing some research into server, and what are some of the highlights of what you've found? Okay, so Thurber operates in a very trendy topic now as a malware as a service in ransomware as a service, where server authors or advisories, they create the platform to enable novice hackers to use in an affiliate programs in order to scale out their operations and, and get as much infections as they can in a model of revenue sharing. So it's a cybercrime as a service or the cybercrime economy that we keep hearing about low barriers to entry because you can pay someone else exactly. to help you do and ransomware attacks. Exactly, and there's not really a franchise and there's no and there's no down payment involved. The attackers are just offering the service in a revenue sharing based on successful transactions. So there's no need for the affiliates to pay to participate into the program. So theoretically, if I'm a cyber criminal, I approach the ransomware as a service gang, I say, I want to infect people and they give me a malware executable, I go and infect them. If successful, then we share in the profits. Is that how it works? Exactly, and that's exactly how we got to them because they were marketing in the underground cyber criminal forums, and we saw one of these advertisements for affiliate program where they were looking for mass spammers to join the affiliate program. And there's no down payment involved, you just get your affiliate and executable, there's some sort of uh, authenticity checking in the underground, but other than that, you're just good to go. You get your affiliate ID, you give back your uh, Bitcoin wallet address, and the revenue starts streaming once you have successful infections, when they pay out, or not on the infection time, but when the user successfully extorted and moved funds onto these Bitcoin wallets, then the attacker or the novice hacker will get his part of the shares. Or sometimes it's mass campaigns and they accumulate into 50,000 of the US dollars of worth in Bitcoin for a period of a month or two. So how big are some of the attacks or the campaigns that you have been watching? I mean, are we talking small, large, when it comes to cybercrime, what, what are you seeing? In terms of actual revenues, it's a small business. Okay, the, we estimated to be uh, 200,000 of successful money transfers done in a month or two and a half million dollars or uh, actually now with the Bitcoin rising it's three and a half million dollars in Bitcoins per year. But in order to get each dollar there, there's a ratio of four dollars per user. So just one in about 600 users will pay eventually the fines. So you can estimate already to be about 100,000 of successful infected users. And you have to remember that to get an infection, there's also this ratio of about 1 to 10, depending on your infection technique. Successful exploit kits, if they have a 1 to 10 infection rate, it's considered uh, good. And then the mass spam campaigns to get you into these exploit kits and the links to them are 10 times more again. So you can estimate it in 10 millions or hundreds of millions of emails or exploit kit links to get into this revenue sharing. So it's very noisy operation. You hear about it a lot. And you have to remember that not only successful users that pay the ransom were affected, but actually a thousand times more users were successfully encrypted and chose not to pay. 
and some of the non-successful prescriptions result in blue screen of death or certain uh, denial of services which are not reported back to the command control so you can estimate a lot of damage is done to generate this amount of revenue. And how were you determining how successful or not they were being? Did you gain access to a control panel? What we did in order to monitor this operation is we used the fact that the operation part of the service registers a range of IPs and uh, successful infections, sends their infection statistics to a range of IPs, and we could have sinkholed one of these IPs and gathered this data that malwares are collecting themselves in order to show their users. So we kind of had the same similar control panel provided for the attacker, and that's how we got to these numbers. That's how you access the data stream, the related yeah. data. Yeah, and we could have extrapolated from this data on, on successful infections, we could have gone to the command controls and see the associated Bitcoin wallet with it. And once we did that, we could have seen the amount of money streaming into attacker-controlled Bitcoin wallets, because each user have a unique Bitcoin wallet. And we also saw a very interesting fact of how these wallets are accumulated into different wallets and there's sort of a Bitcoin laundry offering where they take your Bitcoin, they try to make it more fungible because of the nature of Bitcoin transactions that are recorded on the ledger. So in order to cover these tracks, they have to do lots of transactions using mixing services, which is another service provided by this business model. So if you take into account, the business model takes lots of necessary statistic counting, as we said, bookkeeping, the support for infected users and to understand how to move the money and get your files back and decrypted. And then also this laundry service of a Bitcoin, which is all part of the service that Cerberus is offering. So it's a full service it's offering. A full, yeah, just give us infections and we'll give you everything else. Would you just count the money coming in? So if I am someone who's working with this service, am I also probably buying an exploit kit in order to actually infect the people with it? So what we speculate, so either you have some sort of funds which exploit kits will accept in honor uh, among thieves kind of schemes or bitcoins that are too contaminated to use and you can transfer them to exploit kits owners. But we suspect it's usually the exploit kits owners are the ones that joining these operations and we think it's not very common to other ransomware cases where many different types of exploit kits are part of this operation. Where usually the attacker will have just one or two exploit kits. This one we see in many exploit kits. And it might be that the exploit kits owner just enter this program and default in if they don't have a paying customer, they're just putting this ransomware and hope for the best to get this money, which a $4 per infection is not that bad of a fee paid for exploit kits owners. And so the $4 per infection figure represents the amount of money that the average user has to pay to get to a successful infection? Exactly. The brochure campaign that we saw has 56,000 of revenues coming from 13,000 of infections, 80,000 of which are successful, and then 137 paying users got to this figure of these 50,000. So you have to have about 13,000 infections to get this 56,000 amount paid out, so it's roughly $4 per successful infection. But so ransomware infection overhead. And it's, these numbers are very, very good. And we see it pushing out banking trojans out of the market because 
banking promotions need much more customization to be done, at least in the retail sector I'm talking about. So in the retail sectors, you don't have to build an attack that will be in line with the banking application you use. You just, in fact, any users, the only localization you need, the language support. And then there's other reasons why this operation is so successful in pushing out banking trojans is because of taking out the middleman of the bank. So once you can infect the user and move the funds to your wallet with no banking in the middle that can uh, look for the fraudulent activity and banks were attacked in the last decade a lot with banking trojans so their means of defending against such attacks are now so intense in many stages even in the mulling stages where the money is moved from one account to the other. So they have lots of protections there and cutting out the bank from protecting these users is what's causing me to be so successful. And also the lack of the customization, as I stated, and the current controls doesn't need to be up as was in uh, banking trojans where you have to give commands for the malware or update the infection scripts, etc. Even if the command controls are down, the malware itself will default into encrypting still and showing you the address in the onion ring peer-to-peer anonymized network where you should pay the attacker in order to get the decrypting tool to decrypt the files and get hold back of your data. Do you think Cerber is being run by a single group or are there multiple variants of it at large? So what we call Cerber, what we track as Cerber with the updatable group, we think it's a one group, but you never know if the part of the groups that make, for example, the executable itself is one group, the group that makes the service and transaction and money laundering is a different group, the group that needs to make the checks that the executable is not matched by antiviruses solutions is a different service. So it's an ecosystem. You never know what part of each one they OEM or offshore and what they do themselves. Gadi, thanks very much for your time and your insights today. Thank you, Martin. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.